You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 703. Some succeed because they are destined to, but most succeed because they are determined to. Henry Van Dyke. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films. From predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them, the odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Now in the screenwriting world, guys, there's a lot of myths of, of BS rules or brules that, that are, are taught to screenwriters, especially young and up and coming screenwriters, that you need to have an agent and you really need to live in Hollywood and you can't do it without being union and all of these things that you have to have and have to do in order to be able to make a living as a screenwriter. Well, today's guest is Alan Johnson. He is a screenwriter who has not followed any of these rules and has sold 10 screenplays outside of the Hollywood system. He lives in North Carolina. He does not have an agent. And he actually makes a living doing what he loves to do as a screenwriter. So I wanted to bring Alan on the show so he could teach us his tips and tricks on how to get screenwriting gigs outside the Hollywood system, what he's done and how he does it, and also tell us what his daily writing routine is and just little tips and tricks on how he does what he does. So without any further ado, please enjoy this inspirational conversation with Alan Johnson. I'd like to welcome to the show, Alan Johnson, brother. Thank you so much for being on the show, bro. Hey, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man, absolutely. So you are a longtime tribe member, uh, without yes. question. You've been. I, I I talked to you on on the Ask Alex show when I was doing that for a while. Like this is like two years ago now. Two. Yeah, yeah, two, at least years two years ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah, two to three years ago we did that, and, and uh, we were talking. And you reached out to me the other day and you were just, just as a casual statement, you just said, oh, by the way, yeah, you know, I've shot, I've sold 10 scripts and three of them got produced and I also sold some plays and, and they're being produced as well. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, wait a minute, you don't live in LA. And, and nope. like, how does this work? So I was like, I need to get you on the show. I invited you on the show because I want to give everybody out there who's listening to this, this podcast some hope that you don't have to live in LA to make this happen, you look, we all love to get the big giant projects, but there's ways of For making sure. a living with your art and with your writing outside of the Hollywood system. So before we jump into all of that, sir, how did you get started in the business? Well, it's been a really long, slow journey. Um, like most kids of our of our vintage, we're, we're of similar vintages, as you like to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I grew up obsessing over our, our film heroes. You know, I I wanted to be Obi Wan. I wanted to be Indiana Jones. You know, I wanted to do all. I wanted to be James Bond. All these exciting action heroes. You know, that we grew up with, and I grew up mainly in South Carolina. And as we all know, it is another mecca of Hollywood. Obviously. You know, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was nothing. There was nothing. There was no realization that, you know, people actually did this for a living. It was just a magic thing that happened in a dark theater, you know? So um, 
I, I never really had any formal any education. The only time I ever got close to anything was like my senior year in high school. My friends and I got together and made a ridiculous spoof film. It was awful. We had to borrow a VHS camcorder from the athletic department in order to shoot this thing over a single weekend. It was awful, but that was my that was my first taste. And I was never a great student. I was I was the one always daydreaming. Mm-hmm. That was the note always going home to my mom, constantly daydreaming. Well, look at me now. Um, yeah. <laughs> daydreaming for a living, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, but I couldn't get into a really good university. I went to a junior college for a while, and they actually had a decent little uh, theater program. And so I started getting into acting. A few classes, you know, of touching on to script analysis, stuff like that. And I, I enjoyed that. And then I finally was able to transfer to a four-year uh, university. I transferred to the University of Utah, which is great because we had Sundance right there in our backyard. So I had an opportunity to see that. And, you know, and again, though, this was in the early 2000s. You know, this is like 2000, 2001, 2002. So it's, it's a very different world than it is now. Um, we were just starting to see the, 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 the celebrity invasion of, of a Sundance and how that thing changed uh, over time. Um, but I continued to make a few little short films here and there. Nothing was – it wasn't was really great. I was not a talented filmmaker. Um, the education that I got there was mainly theoretical, a lot of film theory. I read a ton and uh, watched a ton of movies, which were great. It's a great education. You know, I think that's something that's missing from a lot of, of, of young filmmakers today. They don't study the classics. Mm-hmm. And so I had a, a great background in that, great study. But all the upper-level classes were all um, uh, – they were, they were um, geared for people who were voted in essentially by the administration. And they only had a very few amount of cameras and equipment. And back then, everything was taught on 16 millimeter because that's how real artists did it. Obviously. Uh, and of course, you know, back then, I mean, they taught editing as actual splicing Flatbed. of the film. Yeah. I remember seeing, walking by these guys with these glazed look in their eyes, staring at this fop, 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 fop thing in this box, you know, as they're taping their, you know, pulling the tape across their thing, learning how to edit. And, and of course, we had to fight over the few high eight camcorders. And we were editing on like a 1999 version of Final Cut. You know, the one that if you had a five-minute video, it took about five hours to render. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, it would crash halfway through, and then you'd have to start all over. You know, people sleeping underneath the desks in the editing room and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, you know, my film education. And I, during this time, I was never aware of any kind of, um, you know, here's a way to get out to L.A. And here's, a, here's a, a sponsorship or any kind of internship or anything like that. Nothing like that was available or, you know, they just didn't offer it to me (laughs) one way or the other. You know, that was it. Um, But at the same time, I was continuing to try and do acting. I found a little agent there in town and I started doing commercials and things like that. At the same time, kind of my other passion along with this, um, I do historical European martial arts. I specialize in historical European sword fighting. So I started sport fencing in college and then I got into the more historical aspect. I started finding ways to get into films that way, doing some stunt fighting, doing some choreography. Um, But after a while, I started really focusing in on my screenwriting classes. I had a really great professor and that's where I really found my love. I really found um, being able to sit there and create and to delve deep into these characters and come up with whatever I wanted. I didn't have a budget, you know? So that was, that really became a, a passion for me. And that's really where I, I kept, um, kept honing my craft. In fact, I took it, took the class a couple of times, uh, without getting credit for it. You know, <laughs> I had expired my allotment for getting collegiate credit for this class, but I kept wanting to take it because I loved the, the atmosphere so much. Um, so that went on for, for a while, and then everything started to stagnate. Uh, life wasn't going well. I had some relationship changes that didn't go well. I was getting down. I was getting depressed. Um, I was working at a movie theater as a manager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that glorious gig, you know, do whatever you can to even touch the, uh, the, the, the shoe. The celluloid. The celluloid, yes. Yes, yes. And, that, and we actually had to – back then we actually had, you know, flatbed reels mm-hmm. with the, the film on it. You know, we had to, to – do it upright, you know, stuff like that. So I'm sitting there and, you know, I, I, one day I'm sitting there opening up the theater and it wasn't in a great area of town. 
We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I've got a gun pressed up to my face because a guy's jacking the till for literally 65 bucks. <sighs> I'm like, dude, this is going to buy you a shoe, you know, yeah. <laughs> not, even, not even a pair. And so I think I, I need a life reboot. I just need to kind of hit reset. And it was your fight club moment. It was when it Tyler was. Journey put the, put, put the gun to the head at the in, in the back alley. He's like, what do yeah. you really want to do? Yeah. So, but at this point, I didn't have any options. So I went back home to South Carolina. I went back to my roots. And, you know, again, I was hoping that I'd be able to kind of re-get back into things and, and find a new way to get back. In. But it was even worse. You know, it was it was just dry. There was no market. There was no opportunity. Mm -hmm. I did find a little agent, got a little extra work here and there. But it So was, you got an agent in South Carolina? Yeah. yeah. So they had they – had, they had Screenwriting agents, writing agents in South Carolina. Well, this is more it was more talent agent, just because I was trying to grasp for anything. So it was not a literary agent, wasn't anything like that. Got it. So I, I got in a Kevin Bacon movie as an extra sitting in an office and you know Which was I'm anything. assuming awesome. Well well now I, I'm great at the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I, I score at that game now, right? So right. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, at that point it was there was nothing. So I submit one of my favorite scripts of all time to a screenwriting contest. This is the script that I just absolutely loved. Um, I was, uh, this is the best work I'd ever done. And the thing with this contest is this, if you submitted to this contest, you get free coverage. And I was really excited about that. And the coverage I got back just absolutely eviscerated me. Ooh. It destroyed my story. I mean, I, I, you know, I keep, I keep it with me. <laughs> everywhere I go to, to keep me humble and to remind me. I've, I mean, I've got the thing right here, and the comments were, you know, this uh, this is a premise without any commercial spin. Um, why would a producer spend money on this? Um, this has been done many times. This script is dull from page one. There isn't a shred of originality to it. Ooh. This there's like four, four pages of that. Oh. I quit that day. Uh -huh. I quit that day. I was done. That's it. That was the best thing I could have ever written. You took your shot. You, you went up to I the plate and that was it. That's it. That was it. There was nothing. There was nothing. So I started getting into jobs. I had, I was doing, um, designing, uh, brochures for a restroom partition company. I was one of those horrible people that called you in the middle of the dinner asking if you wanted to re refinance on your home. I mean, I, that's how bad it had sunk, you know? Yeah. So, about a year after that contest, I get a call out of the blue from a friend of mine from out west uh, who li still lived in Utah. He was a DP, really good DP. He had been working on an independent film uh, for a producer, and he says, are you still writing? Kind of. You know, wh what are you looking at? He says, well, this guy, I just finished shooting a film for him. He wants to jump right into another one, but he needs a writer. Can I send him something for you? Wow. If that's like that's if that's not the universe knocking on your door, I don't know what is, right. man. But it's one of those things where like, do I even dare to get my hopes up even a little? So of course I, I sent it off and in less than a week, called me up, said, I love what you writ you wrote here. Um, I want you to write this story for me. Here's the concept. We're shooting in a month. Let's mm -hmm. go. That was my first professional sale. That's my first professional assignment. Since then, I've had 10, uh, 10 professional sales. Mm -hmm. uh, they've all been assignments. Um, and three of them had been produced. I've been able to, to produce or sell uh, four stage plays. Three of those have been produced. I've been able to write magazine articles. I've spoken on uh, panels and workshops and conventions and to different kinds of writing groups. Um, and my best accomplishment 10 years ago, I got married and my wife is still with me. You know, <laughs> oh, that is, they haven't, they haven't disowned me yet. You know, <laughs> so from, you know, literally from going to the point where I thought there was no hope whatsoever. I thought that I didn't have anything to offer right. and here and all this takes place in sunny south carolina you know right not play that's that's fascinating man that's fascinating so did you ever consider moving to la i did a little bit i had seen a number of people who had made that jump 
especially when I was living in Salt Lake, you know, they're, they're excited. They had both as actors and producers and directors and writers. They made that jump and just about without fail within six months to a year, they all came back. They got chewed up and spit out and they were angry and bitter and mm-hmm. broke. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that's all I knew. I said, well, if you make that jump, unless you've got an in already, there's no hope. So I was too scared to make that jump. I never, you know, thought, you know, I could, I could do that. It takes a lot of money to make that jump, and it just wasn't there. You know, I, I, I mean, being an East Coast boy myself, it took me years before I jumped out here. I got out here eleven years ago, and it took me. Uh, it, I, I mean, I, I went out once. I think right after that whole shooting for the mob thing. Uh, came out to LA and and I was my I got my ass handed to me like completely yeah. like so handed to me wasn't even funny and I went yeah. back to back to Florida with my tail between my legs. It took me another four years before I attempted it. Uh, f- yeah, no, not four years, uh, like seven years before I attempted it again. But at that point, it was a little bit different. I was on my feet. I was coming from a place of strength. But I came out here with nothing. Like I had, right. I knew two people no job prospects. My whole plan was have a final cut system. I'm just going right. to set it up in my extra bedroom that we're going to get a two bedroom place in North Hollywood and we'll, we'll see what happens. And it just so happened that everything kind of worked out. Um, but it, it's, I get you, I get yeah. you. It, it's not an easy jump, but also if you only know one way, like, like, Oh, if you move to LA, if you don't have a job waiting for you, you're going to get destroyed. Yes, yes and no. It all depends on how you lay it out. What I find fun, what I find interesting about your story, and I think it's something we could dive into a little bit, is that first right hook that you got with that coverage. Yeah, that decimated you. Absolutely, that completely knocked you out. And so many of us on our journey. Uh, you know, I, I always I always refer to that quote by Rocky Balboa as like it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Right. And it's so true. And you're going to get those punches and you're going to get that shrapnel. You're going to get that, the scarring. You're going to get all of that stuff. You know, you're going to get w- weathered. You know, I think yeah, yeah, you're, you're going to get weathered during this during this process. And I find it fascinating that how old were you when you got that that smack? <laughs> Uh, let's see. That was, uh, I think I was probably in my early to mid thirties. Yeah. So you weren't a kid anymore. You know, you you weren't a kid, but at that point, and I feel you because I was there because I lived outside of the Hollywood for so long that that one punch, you know, knocks you out. And, you know, it's, it's on, it's, it's interesting. If you wouldn't have gotten that phone call from that DP, what do you think would have happened? Because that phone call changed your life. It absolutely did. Um, you know, I like to think that, um, if you, I didn't have that perspective then, but I kind of have a little bit of this perspective. Now, if you keep on doing what you do and you do it in the right way, um, I think that you are going to be given opportunities to succeed. You just have to be sure that you're in a place to accept them and have the, I guess, ammo, for lack of a better term, to take advantage of the situation. If I wouldn't have had a script ready to go when he made that call, that opportunity would have passed me by. Right. You know, I like to think if I was still trying to do the right thing and be a better person and stuff like that, somehow I would have been rewarded with another opportunity. But you can't bake on that. You have oh, no. no idea. And my my spirit still would have been crushed. I would still have been in a soul crushing job that I that I hated. Um, waiting for what? I don't know. You know, it's scary I, to think. I, I mean, I'm still waiting for that studio to call me. You know, I've taken meetings uh, and I've done a lot of things outside of that, but I'm still waiting for Marvel to call me and see, you know, to to, to get that, you know, like I always put out there like Marvel, I'll take the meeting. Um, We'll see what happens. But I was I I put out there that, you know, my my favorite character in all of fiction is Obi-Wan. And so apparently the universe has passed me by with the opportunity to write the Kenobi series. But that's okay. I'm happy that it's happening. But (laughs) I was going to ask you. Right. <laughs> I was gonna ask you. I was gonna ask you that. I was like, so, what do you think of that whole Obi Wan Kenobi series coming out? Because I know you're such a huge fan of Obi Wan. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm excited for it. I'm glad that it's happening, and I'm absolutely tickled that that Ewan's going to be a part of that. And uh, you know, I couldn't I I couldn't think of anybody better to to do that. And I'm just the only negative is that I'm not involved. But I'm obviously, sure gonna, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, 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 I said the same thing. I said the same thing about every single Marvel movie ever made. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And for that matter, every Star Wars movie ever made. Um, so, all right. So you got the one, the one opportunity to, to write a screenplay. Um, and do you mind if you do you mind talking about money, or is that something you want to kind of keep quiet, even on the early stuff? I can I can tell you what I was told. I have no idea if what I was told about the budget at the beginning was the same at the end. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, they were talking about uh, a $300,000 budget. And I think it ballooned up from there. I'm pretty sure I have no idea what it mm-hmm. ended up being at the end. Of course, you know, as a writer, you know, you work with them before early on in the process, you complete your draft, you turn it in and then you sit around and the film comes out and you're like, Oh, that's what you did with it. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, you're usually out, you know, once you turn in that final draft, you're usually out of the the process. So by doing that one project, that kind of just you just kept getting work from that producer. Or you start. How did you get the next the next handful? It was it was all kind of linked together. There were a couple other projects that came from that producer. Mm-hmm. There were other people that worked on that production in other capacities that went on to do other jobs that ended up reaching out to me and said, Hey, I really like what you did here. You're easy to work with. I like how you collaborate. Um, I have this idea, you know, or I'm working with this or or I've got this business partner. He wants to do this thing. Let's explore this idea. And it kind of ballooned out from there. Um, so it was, it was these links and chains. And then a couple of times, uh, there were instances where, um, I saw somebody that was working on a project that I liked and I just, contacted them, you know, uh, online and just said, Hey, I really like what you're doing. This is a lot like the type of stuff that I enjoy doing. Here's my IMDB. If you're ever looking for another writer in the future, um, you know, I'd love to work with you. And once or twice that's then, you know, they've come back. They haven't all worked out as far sure. as getting all the way through production. Um, but you know, just keeping an eye out, just being a fan, you know, um, just saying, I, I like what you're doing. I, I want to be a part of it. Here's what I've done so far. You know, if you want, if you'd love to want to collaborate, I, I'm here, you know. So you're, you're, you're basically, you're hustling, sir. Yes, yes. <laughs> At times, you know, and, and again, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because um, one thing that I've had to accept as I, I'm getting on in my years, I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm now doing the daddy better, thing. We're the better, the, we're the better, husband sir. thing, yes, seasoned like a great chicken or something like that. Yes. I don't know. But, um, but I've had to manage my expectations a little bit more. Mm. What uh, I think it's really important, at least for me in my career, to identify what am I willing to sacrifice to get my goals? What am I not willing to sacrifice? As you get older, that does become very important. It changes. It changes. I'm willing to sacrifice a lot to, to achieve my, my screenwriting dreams. I'm not willing to sacrifice my relationship with my wife. I'm not willing to sacrifice my relationship with my kids. That means that sometimes my indie film hustle turns into a little bit more of an indie film shuffle. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's, it's filmmaking over 40 indie film shuffle, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, it's, it changes, you know, it, it, you have to be at peace with that too. So as long as you're willing to establish, you know, what you're willing to sacrifice, what you're not willing to sacrifice, and then work towards that and be at peace with the rest, you know, you can manage your expectations a little bit better from there. I think as you as you get older, you start to realize at least I have that you you start defining what happiness is for you. And you start defining what um, not only what you're willing to do, what what kind of BS you're willing to put up with, if any, yeah. uh, as you get older, but that that tolerance level goes way down than it used to. Like things I did in my 20s, I would shoot somebody now if I had to do, um, because I just don't have the patience for that anymore. Yeah, I don't got time for foolishness anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't, and 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 just being uh, just understanding the definition of what makes you happy. Is so powerful, man. Because you know, I really hope, um, uh, I'm re- I really hope that people out there can just dive into that one question: I'm like, what makes me happy? Like, yeah. what, what, what do I really need 
to be happy. And is it, do I have to live in the Hollywood Hills and make a billion dollars? Sure, that's a dream. If you wanted to be a dream, great. Is it going to really make you happy? What are the chances of you getting to that point in this lifetime? You have to be honest yeah. with yourself. I'm all yeah. about chasing that dream. Don't get me wrong. Sure. That's what my whole thing is about. But be, you know, like I always say, like, follow your dream, but don't be an idiot. You know, so yep. you, you like, no, like I think you, that you, also you, translates well to, you know, how we spend our time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm really disturbed by this growing trend of how much time people spend, especially online, discussing how much they hate something, <laughs> you know, it's so much wasted energy. Like, if, if you were to take half of that time right. and dedicated it to something constructive or at least building up something that you like, mm-hmm. you know, how much better, you know, would it be? You know, you could, you could actually be generating something positive. And I've noticed that, you know, with, with people that you work with professionally, if somebody's constantly talking about how much they hate something and how much, you know, this is, this is horrible and that's horrible. You don't want to work with that person. You want mm-hmm. to be the, with the person who's, who's upbeat, who's positive, who builds up, you know, and, and, and that took me a while to realize one of my, um, in my past, I was also a film critic for about a year for a small little newspaper. Like you did anything to be around the business. Like you anything, literally anything. Anything. And I, I enjoyed being a film critic in the in the sense that, you know, I got to go to all these screenings and stuff like that. And that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. Watched about four to five movies a week, you know, in the theater. But I was a terrible critic. I was bitter because I thought that's what I had to be. You know, mm. that's that film school mentality. You know, if it's not black and white and subtitled, then it's it's just drivel for the masses, you know, uh, anything that could remotely be, you know, uh, commercially relevant, you know, that's, that's for the groundlings down there and, and you're to be <laughs> above such thing. And you start to buy into that stuff and it's ridiculous. But then one day you wake up and the sun is shining and the birds are singing. You think to yourself, man, I just want to watch Andy punch some Nazis, man. And, and, you're, and you're like, and there's oh, nothing wrong with that. And there's that's, wrong. that's, that's what I want to do. You know, and so that's that's kind of been my thing. You know, I, I've been I've been pumping this uh, theory out lately, uh, and it's in it's going to be in a, a bunch of episodes coming up. And I've said it a couple of times, but I think it's something. It's a really great analogy about the the disease that both you and I have, and it is a disease. I mean, once you get bitten by this this virus, which is called mm-hmm. being a filmmaker, being in the film industry, it is uh, there is no vaccination for. There's no immunization no. for it. And I, I, I mean, it's kind of like herpes. It's kind of like you, once you get it, it yes. you got it for life. Yep. It, 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 sometimes it's dormant, but sometimes it flares up. And, you know, and, and but no matter what you do, you're always there's a little itch. There's something like, you know, it's it's always there. It's a horrible analogy, but it's so true. It, it is. It is absolutely true. You know, and, it, and it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's when people ask you, you know, about writing, why would you do something like that? And you, you have other talents, don't you? And you respond with something job. ridiculous. Like, it's not that I can't do anything but write, but I just can't do anything but write, you know? Yeah. And they just sit there and blink at you and you're like, ah, well, you know, that's, they, they don't get it. You either get it or you don't. And I am so incredibly blessed. I'm so fortunate that I have an incredible wife who supports me. In that. Oh, amen. And, and, I mean, if you, you, everybody has got to have that person in their camp, whether it's a, a spouse or a partner or a friend or whatever, that just supports you 100%. You also need the people that can call you out on stuff. And sometimes mm-hmm. that could be the same person. Mm-hmm. Some, sometimes you can get somebody that, you know, gives you honest feedback that mm-hmm. can really be critical, but loving. But you always need that person there to say, no matter what, I'm going to believe in you. Mm-hmm. Because you have to have that life raft. It's way too hard without it. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, I couldn't have. Well, there would be no indie film hustle without my wife. So yeah. I'd be straight up. I mean, if it yeah. wasn't for her telling me, Alex, do what you got to do. Um, you're gonna. And I still worked, and I still was doing post, and I was still directing every once in a while. But she was the one that just kept supporting me. She's like, I know this is gonna turn into something. It's just gonna take time. I believe yeah. in you, and that that belief is is. It, what got me through, you know, all this time that I've been doing this. It's been a little over four years now that I've been with Indie Film Muscle and all the stuff I've done. But if it wasn't for her, it would have never, it really wouldn't have happened. You know, if I would have had yeah. someone nagging or, 
jumping on top of me. You're like, what do you do? Go get a staff job somewhere or. Yep. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You know, she gave me the freedom to do what I need to do. And it, there's never underestimate the power of a good, a good partner, whether male or female, whatever you, you, you know, whatever, Absolutely. whatever support you can get, man, that is so yep. invaluable. And, and, and the thing, you know, again, I wanted to have you on the show, man, because you, you represent something that I haven't had on the show before, which is somebody who's making a living outside of the Hollywood system. And to give people who are listening hope that that can be done because that is not an image that is projected anywhere. I don't see no. that anywhere. I don't see anyone talking about it. I don't see anyone saying, hey, I live in South Carolina and I'm a working screenwriter. Like that is not something I see. I, I just don't see it. And I'm in this every day. Right. I, right. I, I read everything. I'm in this all the time. I talk to a lot of people. I've never seen this. So that's why I wanted to kind of put this this image out into the world and having you come on is so important because I really do hope it gives people out there, not only in the U S but in the world, you know, and, right. and you know, that they don't live in a, in near a major city or they're, you know, in Calcutta somewhere, or, you know, they're in South Africa or something like that. There's always a way to do it. It's just about being prepared when that opportunity knocks, but you've got to show up every day with no yeah. expectations you know, right. you, you got to show up every day with no expectations of what's going to happen. And if you just keep showing up every day, and I use Indie Film Hustle as such a, a good analogy for that, because every day I would show up, I would put out two podcasts every day. I would put blog posts out every day. And at the beginning, you know, crickets. Yeah. I mean, I did jump, yeah. I, I did move fairly quickly, but it's still every day, just show up, grind that yeah. grind and you got to love that's that kind grind. of one of the things that i talk about when i do my little classes and workshops you know a lot of people uh, especially the, the more artur variety like mm -hmm. to talk about the muse and being inspired and stuff like that well you know sometimes you just got to tell that lazy old muse i'm going to be here tomorrow from three o'clock to eight o'clock if you want to show up that's I'll great be here. i'll be here you. i'm going to be here working you know yeah. and and sometimes she shows up and sometimes she doesn't that's fine I still have a plan. You right. Know, I'm, Regardless. Now, do you have an agent? I don't. Nope. It's, again, another beautiful example of like, oh, you need an agent to get anything done. No, you don't. Well, writers and agents ain't really talking these days anyway. So That's true that, sir. <laughs> true that. The ATA and the WJA aren't exactly on speaking terms at the moment. But Are you, know, are you a union, by the way? Are you a union I'm or not. not? So do you have an agent at all? No, I don't. And 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 no that's agent. another that's a great another wonderful thing about your story is that like so many people tell you in film school and oh you need an agent to get anything sold or you need an agent to have a career. You don't. Right. No. You don't. You don't. Now I would you know it's something I would like to get I would like to get to the point where I'm getting those WGA wages you know and things like that but the WGA and the ATA aren't talking these days anyway so I'm just you know doing the thing that I've always done for the last 10 years you're hustling just keep outside on the business as usual you're hustling outside the system because you're not WGA either you're non union no no so you know and then uh, and again your rate for screenplays varies you know cuz what is the DG, what what is yeah. the WGA minimum i think isn't it like 30 40000 I think it's like 36 for a feature or something like that. It's been yeah. a while since I've looked at the schedule of minimums, but um and again with with so much new media mm. stuff it, it's there's a lot of variety and they've done a lot of a lot of work to try and make it affordable for different levels. So they got, you know, the ultra low budget, low budget and there's different ways that you can kind of use union riders and defer payments or break it up a little a little bit. And I I'm not an expert in that stuff, sure, but sure, you know, sure. But yeah, I try to work with people's budgets. Um, I try to make sure that it's you know something that um, works for me, you know. And this is something again, my my great wife has to keep reminding me of. And I, I have a tendency to undersell myself. Oh, she yeah. she keeps on reminding me you're worth more than this, and so I need that voice in my head as well to to um, help out with that. But this is yeah. Changes. I'll tell you what this is a this is a, a another um affliction that uh, we have 
is that when you hustle so hard and, and, and you, because for me, when I was coming out in post, literally anything that knocked on the door, I took, right. I just took it because I was outside the system. So like, Oh my God, it's a job. I got to take it. You know, I was an editor right. in Florida, you know, with the occasional directing job, which was rare. So I took anything and I worked with any budget. That's why my IMDb is sick. It's stupid. Right. Like it's so long because I took every single project that showed up. Right. And at a certain point, you know, you just have to like, hey, I'm worth more than this. And it and it took my wife to tell me, like, babe, you yeah. can't you can't keep doing this. You're killing right. yourself for a few grand. Like that's right. that might have worked when you were 25, but you can't keep doing that. You know, so it, it's a mind shift. It's a mindset change that you have to kind of do in your head because you're it just, is. you're just like, it's that kind of like, oh, I, 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 if I don't take this, when's the next one showing up? So I got to, yeah. I got to take it and I'll underbid anybody else to get it. So make sure I get it. It's that kind of desperate mentality that yeah. we outside the system sometimes have. And because that, and we're that starving. nasty imposter syndrome sneaking Ooh, in there. It's like, yes. if I overbid myself, you know, they'll, they'll say, no, they'll realize that, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing, you know, and that type of, stuff. and then you read other people's screenplays and you're like, okay, I'm okay. I'm at least better than that. And that got made. So let me keep going, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now I want to ask you, what is your writing process? Like, do you have a daily writing process? How do you work? I used to have a daily writing process, but uh, with my kids, that kind of changes a little bit. <laughs> so I kind yeah. of have to, to uh, be flexible and adjust. And a lot of it depends on, you know, if I have an assignment or not. Mm -hmm. um, if it's something that I'm just writing spec, um, then I can kind of just go with the flow and write when I have time to do something like that. Uh, if I have a writing assignment, of course, my family's understanding, we kind of create blocks of time for me to work, um, things like that. But what I like to do, especially with assignments is I spend a lot of time in outlining and developing before I even type fade in. I would say that out of my entire, the entire time that I spend writing, uh, it's probably at least 65 to 70% of that is before I actually write the script. You know, so I really like to take a lot of meetings with the producer or the studio or the director, whoever's involved, and really make sure we get on the same page uh, about what's going on. And I really try to, especially with uh, all these things being, you know, low budget, low, ultra, ultra low budget things, um, I write to their assets. So we'll have meetings about, you know, where are you planning to shoot this? You know, what type of things you already have that you know you want to use that I can use in developing the story. Do you have performers that you know you're going to cast in your movie? Can I see their reel? Can I see some of their previous work so I know how they deliver their lines? What kind of cadence do they have? Let me get inside their head so I can deliver something that fits with the kind of characters that they do. Um, you know, those type of things that I'll, I'll sit down and talk to them. If they've had department heads set up, like wardrobe or, you know, locations or, you know, stunts and special effects, what can I do to make your job easier? You know, what can you do? What can you not do? How long are you going to be shooting? You know, do you want to avoid nights? Do you want to avoid, you know, dealing with rain? You know, so I get all those questions answered beforehand so that when I start writing my outline, everybody's already on, on, you know, on that same page with, okay, here's the things we're going to do. It's so much easier to change 10 pages of an outline than realize you're on page 70 of a screenplay and you got to go back and start over because something doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're able to hand those, those producers or that director, that outline, and they can see what every single scene is, where it's going, the things that they'll need. It's so much easier to change stuff in that moment rather than do pumping out draft after draft after draft and then, you know, having people kick around this 90 page document as opposed to something that's 10 pages. So that's something that I, I usually try and do with a lot of these projects. You know, what's, what's great about that is you are really coming at it as being of service to your client, basically, yes. where a lot of screenwriters have this ego that it's like, it's my work. It's my story. It's my screenplay. I'm like, no, dude, you were hired for yes. a job and you being paid for that job and you need to be of service to the client. Uh, you know, when you, when you get to the point where you're Aaron Sorkin or Charlie Kaufman or Shane Black, 
than, or Tarantino, then you do whatever the hell you want. And it's a different conversation at that point. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But you're still being of service. And even these, the, even these screenwriters who are working on you know, Avengers, I promise you that they were being of service to, to the Russo oh, brothers. Absolutely. They have a very specific sandbox that we're working in, you know, and, and going back to, uh, you know, talking about star Wars, you know, we've seen a lot of writers come and go. And I really think a lot of that is probably because, you know, I'm not in the room. I don't really know, but I imagine a lot of that is, you know, the, the producers say, here's our overall vision. You can work with this or not. And if, you know, things get outside of that and they decide, you know, I can't stay in this box that you've given me, then you move on to somebody who can. Right. And, you know, it's the thing with independent stuff. It doesn't matter how uh, artistic or eloquent you think your script is. If it's unshootable, it's unproducible, then they'll find somebody else to, to, to replace right. you with. So it's not so much selling out as it is buying in. Right. You know? Exactly. Now, I want to ask you, Ben, how do you stay motivated when you're not surrounded by the business, you know, cause like for me, I mean, I live in Hollywood. I live in the Mecca. When I walk out my door, there's everywhere. There's something about the business. And I know a lot of people outside Hollywood. That's like when you come to Hollywood, I'm sure you have, you been, you've been here, right? You've been to LA. No, no, I haven't. So if you get to LA one day, you'll walk around your mouth will be on the floor and you'll be sure. like, Oh my God, the streets are paved with gold. I was like that for about two years until I became cynical. Um, you know, <laughs> because when I first got here, it was just like, Oh my God, is that a post house? Is that Warner brothers? Is that Disney? Is that Sony? Yeah. Like you just every, everywhere you go, it's all about the business. You know, any coffee shop, that's the big joke. Any coffee shop you walk into, all you see is final draft everywhere, you know, that's and right. all these laptops. But you don't have that in South Carolina. I didn't have that in Miami. No. So how did you stay or how do you stay motivated to just kind of keep after this, this, this dragon, if you will? Well, I think that, you know, writing is one of those things where you have to be in love with the with the process of writing. That's the thing that has to be pleasurable for you and, and rewarding because if you're chasing accolades or or you're chasing the end result, you're going to be disappointed because production is an absolute meat grinder on scripts. You know, I you you don't realize it at first, but the script that you write will not be the film that's seen. Oh no. And if I'm looking to see every single word that I put on this page beautifully, you know, blown up into to a big screen or, or on the TV exactly the way I wrote it, I can't use that as my vote of motivation because it'll never happen. You know, right. um, if I'm if I'm chasing, you know, uh, that 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 name on the screen. Yeah, it's nice to see your name on the screen. But you know what? Everybody gets rewritten. Everybody, Oscar winners. Everybody, Oscar winners. I mean, everybody. Yeah, you talk, I mean, you had uh, that great interview with John August a couple, yeah. a couple, uh, you know, episodes, episodes back, and and he's one of the best writers in the entire business, and he gets rewritten, you know, and and kind of coming back to to my my story, you know, I've I've had um, I've made ten sales, and three have made it through production, you know, John August has like what eight or nine. Uh, films on his IMDb, but what do you say? He sold like 30, 30 or something like that. He's worked on 30 or 40 projects. Same thing with Jim Wools, you know, the writer of fight club. When yeah. you look at, when you look at his IMDb, he's got like a handful of credits, but Jim doesn't stop working. He is yeah. constantly working on projects, but they just, for whatever reason, they don't go over the, yeah. the finish line. And a lot of Every these single writer, a lot of these guys never see the light of day. Yeah, and it's sad. And, and I love yeah. what John said. I love what John said. He's like, you've got to become kind of like a stock picker. Like, is this mm -hmm. is this project have the, the legs to get to the finish line? Like, what are the what are the you know? If I'm going to take on this this gig, it's not about the money anymore. It's about like I want to see something produced. You know, yeah, so like when yeah. Tim Burton so, when Tim Burton calls, generally speaking, those those projects get done. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So yeah, to kind of come back, you know, full circle to your original question, and I have to be in love with that story. Is this a place that I want to live for a few months? Is is this exciting to me? So that's what keeps me motivated. Is is the the joy of writing? I enjoy that creative process. I enjoy collaborating. It took me a while to realize, but I am one cog in the machine. 
Mm-hmm. But if I do my job really well, everyone else will will be excited by that too, and things will run more smooth. So I, I have to be in love with you know what I do and the way I do it. And to me, that's that's you know self motivating. If you have to look to other sources to be able to do something that you claim you love, it, it it's not going to work out. It's going to end. You know, mm-hmm. you, if you got to be able to self motivate. Yeah. You know, you got to be in love with the process and and committed to that. And that doesn't mean you don't have bad days or no, bad no. weeks or even bad months or That's years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or bad, bad years, yeah. man. There, I don't know anybody who has any job on the planet that hasn't at some point said, man, this is a drag. And that's okay. You do that. And then you find other things to get your mojo back and you keep going. Right. It's, it's about being in love with the grind. You've, yeah. got to, you've got to love the daily grind. You can't do this for the red carpet. You can't. No. You can't do it for the red carpet. And there's so many filmmakers who do it literally for the red carpet. And I'm like, dude, yeah. because when the red carpet's over – which is so quick, it's it's done. And now, now what? Now you're depressed for like months because it takes forever well, it, to get another project off the ground. And it's especially true for for writers because honestly, nobody cares about writers. It really don't. I was at a <laughs> I was at a workshop once, and uh, uh, a girl asked me if I was famous, and I'm like, No, of course not. I'm not famous. She's like, What you write movies? So I said, What's your favorite movie at all time? And she said like Clueless or something like that. Who wrote that? She had no clue. Her most favorite movie at all time. She had no clue who the author – she knew the author of her favorite book. She knew the stars of her favorite show. Writers get, don't get famous and that's OK. There's there's a, there's only a handful that do. And yeah. and, and you know I, I mentioned a few of them, Sorkin, Tarantino, yeah. Shane Black, Kaufman. Well, and most of those are filmmakers as well. But Gold, just like Goldman. Exclusive writers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Goldman. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's, you know, there's a handful of them. There's yeah. not a whole lot of them. Nope. That people really know who they are, um, because it's, it's you know it's a thankless job. Unfortunately, it is, it is a thankless and job. And it's one of those things that, um, unfortunately, and this this might sound a little self righteous, but that's okay because you know we're having fun here. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's one of those. It's like it's like driving. Everybody understands because they know how it works. They think they know how to do it well. <laughs> yeah, I watched I watched a movie, so I obviously can make one. It's the only well, industry. It, it's, you know, with the film stuff, you know, it, if you sit somebody in front of a camera, there's a lot of buttons there. There's a lot of numbers on that thing. That's kind of scary. You sit somebody down in front of an av and they're like, why are there colors on the keyboard? You know, this is ridiculous. This is scary. But you sit somebody down to write a story. They're like, oh, I can make words. I can write top to bottom, left to right. You know, I can do this. This is easy, right? You know, so it's one of those things that unfortunately, especially with the independent productions, it's a little bit difficult to convince people this is something worth investing in. You know, I, I'm worth investing in to get you a good script. And they're like, well, I can write a script. Anybody can write a script. That's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, eh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my, my guests, sir. What sure. advice would you give a screenwriter wanting to break into the business today? Uh, study the craft. Um, study the. There, there's a lot of, especially young writers, get so caught up and so excited about the idea of breaking the rules, being the rebel. And when you're starting out, it just looks like sloppy writing. Um, there's there's a reason why this format is specific to the industry is because it tells other people how to do their jobs. If you don't know how to properly format a slug line, when they go to drop that script into movie magic, um, it's going to get all screwed up and they're going to have to spend extra time to fix the problems that you created because you couldn't format a slug line properly. And you're not going to get called again. No, probably not. But if you can do that easy and if you can say hey you know what i can help you with tagging the props and the vehicles and stuff like that on my end so it can populate it you know when you drop it in you know you might earn yourself some extra points there so that's certainly something that i would i would suggest um you know for for young writers to do uh study the classics read as much as you can read screenplay see how they work see how they look on the page um, study your genres, whatever you, whatever you're writing and whatever your wheelhouse is, you know, um, make sure that you, you understand that, understand subtext, um, you know, for the love of God, please understand on the nose dialogue and how to mm. avoid it, mm. you know, uh, and don't get so obsessed, especially when you're first starting out with trying to blow people's minds. You're not going to out inception inception. 
mean, honestly, it's just an action movie that the actors, the, the characters themselves slept through, you know? Right. So it's, it's, you know, you're not, just learn how to be entertaining, learn how to tell a story, and then you can go and write your existential crisis piece that's in you know, slow motion and black and white and all that stuff. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Why don't you try to build three or four houses the proper way? And then if you want to create your, your, um, your masterpiece and, and have windows on the floors and doors in the ceiling, then do that. But I believe it was David Mamet in his book on directing. He had a story in there about – I think it was in the 60s or 70s. There was a trend called counterculture architecture where basically it was all these hippie architect, architects were, were, were fed up with the fuddy-duddy way that they used to do things back in the day. And we're going to build buildings based on how we feel. Not upon these formulas, these these gross things that you know you old guys use, and of course it was a colossal failure. Um, there's a reason why these blueprints exist, and you know you need to you need to figure that out. So then when you go to bend a few of the rules, you know exactly what you're doing, how far to take it, and you're doing it so it serves a purpose in the story as opposed to I'm just being a rebel because that's cool. Because yeah, it's not your ego you're feeding; it's the story right. you're feeding. Exactly. Now, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact in your life or career? So when, you know, with most writers, when they start out, usually the first thing that they come in contact with is, is Sid Field's screenplay. And of course, that was one of the early ones and that was influential. But the one that really struck out, uh, struck me, a chord with me was one called Lou Hunter's Screenwriting 434. The most obnoxious title ever. He was a screenwriting professor at UCLA. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's essentially his class. And this was the first book that I had ever read where he actually takes you through the entire process of writing the script. Here's how I gather ideas. Here's some things that you can do to formulate ideas about stories. Here's how I can develop characters. Here's how I give them personality and voice. And he actually goes through and writes an entire screenplay inside the book showing you the process that he goes through. So it, it, he essentially you know, broke down this, this mystification of how you somehow put all these words on a page and it makes sense into I'm doing these specific things to achieve this creative result. And so that was really, really influential to me. So Lou Hunter's screenwriting 434, you know, I have no idea if it's even still available. Of course, this is back in like, uh, 2000, 2001. So we're going back a little way. Amazon but will have it. Amazon will have I'm it. Sure I'm sure someone will have it. It was a great one. Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? Um, knowing my worth is a big one. Uh, knowing whose opinions really matter. I made the mistake with my first film. I read the comments. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't do that. Don't now do I that. Laugh, you know, yeah. but, but, you know, especially as a writer, you have so little control over the end result of that picture. Mm. Uh, it's, yeah, it's never, it's never going to be exactly the way you wrote it. The, the, the lines are never going to be delivered exactly the way you thought people are going to make stuff up. The actors want to put their stuff in. Anybody who has a voice on that set is going to want to change it in some way. And it happens. And that's the process. And you kind of have to be at peace at that. So learn whose opinions really matter and just ignore the rest. Cause it really doesn't matter. Now, what did you learn from your biggest failure? What did I learn from my biggest failure? Um, I think that I'm enough. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's one of very popular one. It's, 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 you know, it's one of these things where you, you get hammered by people. And there are legions of people out there that will tell you you're doing the wrong thing. You don't know what you're doing. You're a hack. You're an imposter. And, and if you don't, if you buy into that, that can crush you, but realizing that you're enough, you know, that, that can, that can really bolster you and, and keep you afloat because they're, you're, you're, you're vastly outnumbered. <laughs> Fair enough. And so just being able to, to rely on that 
is is extremely helpful. Now, what is the biggest fear you had to overcome to write your first screenplay or just to become a screenwriter in general? Um, that it's not going to happen uh, when I want and how I want it. <laughs> yes, great one. Yeah, you ever want to you know get a good chuckle? Ask some young filmmaker about their five year plan. You know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you you have these expectations and these ideas. By this time, I'm going to do this. By this guy, you have all these grand ideas, mm-hmm. and and it's not going to happen that way. And it's okay. You'll you'll figure it out. You know. Three of your favorite films of all time. Well. I would not be here having this conversation if it wasn't for Star Wars and Indiana Jones. It's it's cliche, but I am I am I am no longer too ashamed to say that those popcorn movies mm-hmm. have had the biggest impact on me and still remain uh, my favorites to this day. I am so much of a fan. I even like the prequels, Alex. Stop it! Stop it! Stop I, it! Listen, hot take, hot take. I will I will contend that any complaint that people have about the prequels either can be explained within the context of the films or has a precedent already set in the original trilogy. I'll go toe to toe. I um I uh that's another episode for another time, <laughs> sir. I uh listen, man, I just I just I just I, I actually I just watched Phantom Menace the other day with yeah. my daughter for the first time because right. she's a Star Wars fan, because I'm a good dad. And sure. um I, it was horrible. It was it was really, really. I mean, like I was just looking at it. And I'm like, this is. I, I I loved it when I first came out. Like I was like sure. I was. I drank that Kool Aid. I I bought. I you know I I did all of it. The the action sequences were fantastic. You yep. know the pod race I loved. Yep. But Jar Jar. Oh my God! It was just painful. <laughs> I did enjoy Attack of the Clones better. Right. And I and I and I think Revenge of the Sith is probably the best of those of that trilogy. Agreed. Um, Hayden's acting could have been better. Ewan was fantastic. One of the highlights oh, of the absolutely. of the series yeah. was without was with, with without without that was Ewan. Um, Natalie Portman was basically just dressing. She they, they mm-hmm. didn't let her do what she does. Uh, it, it, it's it's a painful it's a painful process to go through and and we, I, I don't want to get into it, Alan, but I don't want to get into it. Um, but I do tell people if if you are introducing your kids to Star Wars, you have to watch it in this order: you watch New Hope, Empire, then Phantom, uh, Attack, Revenge, and then go to Revenge of the Jedi, or, or excuse me, oh, Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. Okay, that's that's All the original right. six. Then you continue right. from then you can and then you continue yeah. with the new trilogy, which I love yeah. the new trilogy. I think the new trilogy is fantastic. Yeah, they're fantastic, and I the, love and Rogue I loved Rogue One. Rogue One, yeah, Rogue One. I mean, so great. the greatest Darth Vader scene ever. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you want to hear something funny? My buddy worked on that. He worked on on, oh, on Rogue no. One, and he was telling me he's like, dude, I would just sit there and because they could have they could look at any clip in the system in ILM. So right. they would he would just grab the quick time for that sequence and he would just play it in the background on loop. Right. He's like, it was just the greatest thing ever. Yeah. So yeah. um sorry, sorry everyone, oh. we're geeking out. We we will now stop. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you had to nail me down to one specifically, I'd probably go with Empire. That thought that was just a, a fantastic film. And of course Raiders is just just so fundamental and as far as a third one uh the other film that was just incredibly influential for me was was braveheart oh, um, that one was I, oh. I saw that at the time i was working at a movie theater and this was mm-hmm. when i was you know in high school and because i worked in a movie theater i saw it 26 times in the theater sure. yeah, yeah and and that was the point where i think i decided I don't know what this thing is or how it gets done, but I want to be included in something that generates this. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a childhood hero. Uh, the, you know, the story of William, I come from Scottish heritage. And so that was just, you know, a dream come through to see that, that thing on the big screen. And I wanted to be a part of that. I had no idea how or why, or, you know, what, but True. that was, that was a big calling card. For fantastic me. So, film. Fantastic film. Now, where can people find uh, you and your work and what you're doing? Okay. Well, I've, I've got a website, and it, the ty- it's long and obnoxious, and we can just put that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is at Alan J underscore right fight. That's A-L-L-E-N, 
the letter J underscore W-R-I-T-E-F-I-G-H-T because I write and I fight. Nice. Fantastic. <laughs> Alan, man, I really do thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, and, it's my pleasure. And, thank and, you. And, and, and giving everybody a new image of what a working screenwriter is and can be. So I really do appreciate it and I hope it does inspire and give some hope to a lot of screenwriters out there. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Well, it's not a pretty image, but uh, it, it's one that works. There's a lot of mileage. What I say, it's not the years; it's the mileage, right? That's that's how it uh, how it works out for us. But I'm I'm absolutely tickled that I could, uh, you know, be a part of this and try and give back to the tribe. I I really admire what you're doing and how much you're giving out, and I think that um, it's just a wonderful thing. And the more people that do this type of stuff, uh, that that rising tide is going to raise all raise all of our ships. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. I want to really thank Alan for dropping those inspirational knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you, Alan, so much. You are an inspiration to many screenwriters listening to this today. There is hope. You can make a living as a screenwriter, and you don't always have to go for that giant home run, the big movie studios and $200 million movies. You you don't have to. That shouldn't be the only bar to a successful screenwriting career. There are hundreds if not thousands of other writers making a living in the screenwriting space or in the playwriting space, loving what they do and actually generating revenue every day with it. So thank you, Alan. If you want to get links to contact Alan or anything else we spoke about in this episode, please head over to the show notes at IndieFilmMuscle.com forward slash 703. And if you haven't already, please head over to FilmmakingPodcast.com subscribe and leave a good review for the show it really helps us out a lot guys thank you again so much for listening guys as always keep that hustle going keep that dream alive stay safe out there and i'll talk to you soon thanks for listening to the indie film hustle podcast at indiefilmhustle.com that's i-n-d-i-e-f-i-l-m-h-u-s-t-l-e.com